Please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 19 and reading through verse 22 in Jesus' name. 1, Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 19. And Paul writes these words, Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, But examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, our Redeemer, the one who came to give his life for us on the cross of Calvary. We thank you for your word, your spirit-inspired word. And we thank you, Lord, today as we look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the congregation. And we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that you would guide us into this word that you have inspired. Give us understanding, O God. Help us to apply the truth of your word to our lives today. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If there's one thing that Satan does not want believers in Jesus to understand... I believe it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the congregation. And I believe that Satan tries to deceive us in two common ways regarding the Holy Spirit. One way is to associate the ministry of the Holy Spirit with all kinds of strange things. And you've probably either seen or heard of some of these things that are attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit, such as being slain in the Spirit, or holy laughter, the Toronto blessing a few years ago where people would just fall on the floor during a church service in just uncontrollable laughter. And that was supposed to be a sign of the Holy Spirit. I read just the other day about... Another evidence, supposedly, of the Holy Spirit's work was shaking or jerking, kind of like even convulsing, barking like a dog, roaring like a lion, crawling on all fours in the congregation during a worship service, rolling around on the floor as though in labor, supposedly birthing something in intercessory prayer. These are all examples of ways in which people say this is the work of the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit gets a lot of blame for things he has nothing to do with. And so there's one way that Satan would deceive people by associating these kinds of strange things as a evidence of the Holy Spirit. So the other way that Satan would deceive us is really a reaction to the first. And that is, if that's what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, I don't want anything to do with it. And so you have people then that kind of ignore the Holy Spirit. As if the Holy Spirit um, is something, someone that we just need to avoid. And so... We don't talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We just kind of ignore the third person of the Trinity. And maybe for those of us who come from a more traditional background, that might be the danger. We don't talk about what is 
the work of, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Three things that Paul tells us about the Holy Spirit in our text. The first thing is this, the Spirit's ministry must not be quenched. Look at verse 19 where Paul simply says, do not quench the Spirit. Now, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is that of fire. John the Baptist said of Jesus in Matthew 3, verse 11, that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, we are told that there were cloven tongues of fire that rest upon the heads of those who were gathered there that day. And even today, we might describe someone who is filled with the Spirit in a biblical sense as being on fire for God. They have a burning desire through the power of God's Spirit dwelling in them to live their life for the glory and the praise of God. Paul's use of the word quench here is consistent with that symbol of fire because it means to extinguish. It is used frequently in the New Testament to picture that of putting out of a fire. And so Paul's counsel here not to quench is not to quench or to extinguish the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't put out the fire that the Holy Spirit has put within you. I believe that's a good way to describe what Paul is saying here. Don't put out the fire that the Holy Spirit has put within you. Now, Paul's spiritual son in the faith, Timothy, who we find reference to him in chapter 1, verse 1 of this book, Paul and Silas and Timothy writing to the Thessalonians, Timothy was at one point in his life in danger of quenching the Spirit, putting out the Spirit's fire. And it seemed to be as a result of fear. And so Paul challenged him in 2 Timothy Chapter 1, he really laid it on the line. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears so that I might be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. Then he goes on to say this, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And so Timothy seemed to be a man that by nature was somewhat timid. And you read in other places in Scripture and you find that, that tendency of Timothy to give in to fear. And Paul is challenging him here. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Stand up for Jesus. And it's interesting to notice that the solution for Timothy here is in that phrase in verse 6 that we just read where it says, 
I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. That phrase literally means to keep the fire alive. The ESV and the NIV both translate it this way, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. So instead of extinguishing the flame, we need to fan the flame. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with a burning desire to live our lives for Jesus Christ. That God would put a fire in our hearts. Jeremiah the prophet understood this. In Jeremiah chapter 20, he describes his ministry and what it meant to him and all the, 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 the mocking and ridicule he received. In Jeremiah 20, verse 8, he says, For each time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction, because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. Imagine that. Everywhere I go, all day long, when I share the word of God, no one wants to hear it. But he goes on to say in verse 9, But if I say... I will not remember him or speak any more in his name. Then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. God had put a fire in the heart of that prophet. (laughs) He said, I suffer for this. I'm mocked for this. I'm laughed at for this. And if I were to say, you know, I'm not going to speak anymore, he said, God puts a fire in my belly, my heart. I can't hold it in. That's the the work of the Spirit of God through His Word that God puts within us that burning desire to live for Jesus. My dad used to call it spiritual heartburn. When God gives you a burden in your heart, The Word of God that needs to be shared, proclaimed. So do you know what it means to have a a fire in your heart? Are you filled with a Spirit-given, burning desire to proclaim the Word of God and to live for Jesus every day? Or has the fire gone out in your life? I remember meeting a lady that we knew when I was younger. I hadn't seen her for a number of years. And I asked her, I said, Marie, how is it with you and Jesus today? And she put her head down and she said, shook her head, she said, it ain't what it used to be. Isn't that a sad testimony? It ain't what it used to be. Would that be your honest testimony today that it ain't what it used to be? You can look back in your life and see a time when when you were on fire for Jesus and now you've cooled off. The Spirit of God needs to be fanned into flame in your life. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. That's Paul's word to us today. The Spirit's ministry must not be quenched. The second thing Paul goes on to say in our text is that the Spirit's message 
must not be despised. In verse 20, he says, do not despise prophetic utterances. Now, the ministry of the prophet in Paul's day was to proclaim God's word by the power of his spirit. And occasionally, this involved new teaching from God. It may have been foretelling certain events to come. And that's often what we think of when we think of prophecy or the ministry of the prophet. We think they're always talking about something to come. But that was just a small part of the prophet's ministry. A much larger part was not foretelling, but as some had put it, telling forth what God has already said. In other words, it was spirit-empowered preaching. Spirit-empowered preaching, proclamation of the Word of God. And Paul says that they were not to despise that. Do not despise prophetic utterances. So what would cause people to despise these messages of God? I think there's two possibilities. One thing is because some don't like the message. They don't want to hear what God's Word has to say. And we live in a culture like that today, don't we? Where people do not want to hear the truth of God's Word. And they are trying to silence us in whatever way they can to, to not allow us to proclaim what God's Word has to say. Paul faced this response from those in Galatia, as he writes to the Galatian believers. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Is that what an enemy does? Does an enemy function in this way that he tells you the truth? Good question to consider, huh? Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? The truth can hurt. The truth can cut. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and it cuts deep within us. And our sinful nature wants to rebel against such teaching. Don't despise that. Don't despise the Word that would cut and reveal our need for a Savior, our need for repentance. So some don't like the message, and they despise the prophet. But secondly, some don't like the messenger. Can you believe that? <laughs> some don't like the messenger. I think of Paul as he writes to the Corinthians, he describes these various groups within the congregation. There was Paul's group, and then there was Apollos' group, and then there was Peter's group, and they all had their favorite and didn't really want to listen to the other one. Do we see any of that today? I know of congregations where there are more than one pastor, where people will call up during the week and ask, who's preaching on Sunday? Because if it's so-and-so, I'll be there. But if it's not so-and-so, I'm not going to come. That's despising. The truth, if, you, if you're not willing to receive the truth except from, you know, your favorite evangelist or favorite preacher or teacher. 
I remember hearing of a man that I knew who told another pastor, he said, you know, I, I just don't get much out of Pastor so-and-so's sermons. And have you ever said that before? Yeah, you probably have, haven't you? So he asked him the question, he says, does he preach the Word? Well, yeah, he does. He said, then the problem is with you. Oh, it is, huh? As long as someone preaches the Word, that's what matters, right? Not his personality, not his gifts, not his stories, not whatever. If he's preaching the Word of God, we should not despise that. We should say, Lord, teach me. Show me. Holy Spirit, guide me into your truth today. So whatever was their reason, there were those in Thessalonica who were despising prophetic utterances. And they missed out on the blessing of God's Word. You know, we live in a culture today that despises preaching. John MacArthur has written a book entitled, Ashamed of the Gospel. And here's part of what he said. He said, an overpowering surge of ardent pragmatism is sweeping through evangelicalism today. Traditional mythology, most notably preaching, is being discarded or downplayed in favor of newer means such as drama, dance, comedy, variety, sideshow, histrionics, pop psychology, and other entertainment forms. The new methods supposedly are more effective. That is, they draw a bigger crowd. And since for many the chief criterion for gauging the success of a church has become attendance figures... Whatever pulls in the most people is accepted without critical analysis as good. That is pragmatism, he says. A little bit later he goes on to say, Many in the church believe that this is the only way we will ever reach the world. If the unchurched multitudes don't want biblical preaching, we are told we must give them what they want. Hundreds of churches have followed precisely that theory, actually surveying unbelievers to learn what it would take to get them to come to church. He says, subtly, the overriding goal is becoming church attendance and worldly acceptability rather than a transformed life. Preaching the Word and boldly confronting sin are seen as archaic, ineffectual means of winning the world. After all, those things actually drive most people away. Then he says, why not entice people into the fold by offering whatever they want, creating a friendly, comfortable environment, and catering to the very desires that constitute their strongest urges. Then he concludes by saying this, as if we might get them, to accept Jesus by somehow making Him more likable or making His message less offensive. 
Isn't that the culture we live in today? Who are you to tell me that I've sinned? Who are you to tell me that this is wrong? We must preach the Word. We must not despise the the Spirit-empowered preaching of God's Word. That's the only hope for our nation. That's the only way that lives will be changed. If we honor the Word of God, we lift up the name of Jesus. The Spirit's message must not be despised. Then thirdly, Paul says this, the Spirit's test must not be neglected. One of the things we need to understand, especially today, is that not everything that is said to be of the Holy Spirit is really of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need to test what we hear to make sure that it is consistent with Scripture. And that's why Paul says in verse 21, examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. The word examine here means to test or to examine something to see if it is genuine or not. And it was used in Paul's day for the testing of coins. They would examine the coin to see if that coin was, was authentic. Was it, was it genuine? So how do you suppose they knew whether the coin was authentic or not? Well, you compared it with one that was real. You compared it with one that was authentic. And you looked at the one that was authentic and you looked at the other coin and said, do these match? You had something by which you can judge whether the coin was authentic. How do we know whether a message is of God or not? How do we know whether it is authentic? How do we know if it's truth or error? The Berean Christians teach us how to do this, don't they? In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says that they were searching the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. So they were listening to this apostle as he preached the Word, and then they were comparing it with the Word of God, and they were searching to see if it matched. Is what Paul saying consistent with what the Old Testament has to say? And if it is then we can trust that this is a Spirit-inspired message. And we must do the same thing, must we not? We must take the Word of God, and as we listen to the messages of our culture, we must ask the question, does it agree with this Word? Is it consistent with the Word of God? If it is not consistent with the Word of God, we reject it, right? We test to see you. John says in 1 John chapter 4 that we need to test the spirits. And he gives us the reason why. Because there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. Many. They're all around us. They're on the internet. They're on the television. They're in our churches today where they have changed or disregarded parts of Scripture and are not being faithful to God's Word. 
Paul tells us why we must do this. Examine everything carefully so that we can hold fast to that which is good. And then we can abstain from every form of evil. So we we test the message and we accept what is truth, what is of God. We hold fast to that and we abstain from every form of evil, everything that is not of God. Kind of like a, a fuel filter on your car. Okay, when that fuel comes to that filter, what's good passes through and it catches the gunk that you don't want in your engine. The Word of God is like a filter. We filter what we hear through the Word. And if it's consistent with the Word, we say praise God. If it's not, we reject it. Test it to see whether it is true or not. And it's a good thing that we have the Holy Spirit to help us in this. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 16, which was read this morning? Verse 12, He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine, therefore I said that He takes of Mine and will disclose it to you. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He has inspired this Word. And He guides us into truth. We must be filled with that Spirit who can give us wisdom and understanding as we sift through all that we hear in our culture today. We have the promise that He indeed will lead us and guide us. I pray two things every day. As I get up in the morning, I say, Lord, cleanse me from my sin. And I believe that God will do that because as we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us of all our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the second thing I pray is, Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. We are commanded in Ephesians 5 to be filled with the Spirit. That's an imperative. It's a present tense. It's an ongoing thing. Daily we need to be filled with the Spirit. And as we are filled with the Spirit, God will enable us to to live for Him. He will give us wisdom and understanding as we study His Word, as we compare that with all that we hear in our culture today. Luke 11:13 Jesus said if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him there's his promise so lord fill me with your spirit today work in my life today Conform me to the image of 
Your Son today. Give me the power to be Your witness today. Give me understanding into Your Word that I will hold on to that which is good. And I will turn away from that which is evil. Ask Him. He will fill you with His Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for the ministry of Your Holy Spirit in the life of Your people. Help us not to quench the Spirit or to despise the message of Your Spirit through Your Word. Help us to test, Lord, those messages and those things that are coming our way daily that we might hold fast to that which is good and turn away from that which is evil. All this, Lord, for the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand.